0: With the 32nd pick in the NFL Draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select.
1: You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast. Welcome to the Journey to the Draft podcast. I'm Fran Duffy and we're back today to preview week six of the 2018 college football season and react to another Fun weekend of college football. I watched a couple of great games on Saturday involving some of the top prospects around the country. There is plenty for us to hit on in this week's show. We begin things at the top with Draft Buzz, where I chat with NFL Draft insider Tony Pauline to give us some insight on some of the rising prospects around the country. Before I ask him about a couple of players, I personally have gotten a chance to study recently and how they will fare next spring in the NFL Draft. After that segment, we will then transition to Scouting Report, where this week I'll review my notes on one of my favorite players, in the country, Clemson defensive tackle Christian Wilkins. After that, we'll go to Mr. Re- Mr. Relevant, where this week I catch up with Eagle safeties coach Tim Houck to talk about the transition that college players have to make going from college to the NFL. Next up, we've got our Saturday scouting segment where Ben Fennel returns to talk about what he saw down in Starkville last week before he lets us know where he is heading this Saturday night. Then we wrap things up on Draft Mailbag, where I'll take a question or two from all of you guys out there and answer them here on the show. We have got a ton going on this week so let's get things started here with the latest and greatest surrounding the 2019 draft with our buddy tony pauline it's time for draft buzz
2: now it's time for draft buzz
1: very happy to be joined once again by my buddy Tony Pauline from draftanalyst.com. He is one of the best draft insiders in the business. No one breaks news quite like Tony Pauline. So, Tony, uh, let's get started here. No big injuries to talk about this week, thankfully. So, let's get into some of the standout performances from this past weekend. A lot of great college football was played over the course of Friday and Saturday. And I want to start with West Virginia quarterback Will Greer. He's putting up gaudy numbers so far once again this season, mastering that air raid offense with Dana Holgerson West Virginia looks like a legitimate contender right now for not only the Big 12 but potentially a playoff spot down the road with him at the helm looking past this year though Tony what do you think Will Greer's ceiling is in terms of his draft stock how high could he go how are scouts viewing him at this point in the process
2: I think he's definitely a potential second day pick if he continues to progress the way he's shown in the early part of the season I mean, he came into the season graded as a, uh, a mid-last-day pick, sort of like a, a fifth-rounder. But he showed a lot of improvement in his game. I mean, his accuracy, not just his accuracy, his pass placement. He was dropping dimes against the Texas Tech down the field, hitting receivers in stride, putting the ball out in front of receivers so they can pick up the yardage after the catch. He's at a 72 per- completion percentage this uh, this year. And like I said, it's not just the t- the, the statistical accuracy. It is the pass placement and where, how he allows his uh, receivers to run to the ball, or as people like to say, throw his receivers open. So he's staying away from bad throws. He's staying away from mental errors. Uh, you know, All the signs are, are pointing north. Granted, you know, the Big 12 isn't known for their staunch de- defenses. November 3rd matchup against Texas is going to be a big one, but I think all the signs are uh, pointing in the right direction for Will Greer.
1: Yeah, that's good to hear because, you know, watching him in the off season, I saw a guy who was a real easy thrower, very twitchy. You know, everything just seems natural to him athletically. But the ball placement, especially on those downfield throws, was very up and down. Yeah, he dropped some balls in a bucket down the field, but also missed some wide-open receivers at times as well. So that was a little bit infuriating. Obviously, coming from that offense, there will be a little bit of a learning curve, but very good to hear uh, some of the strides.
2: Uh, I mean, he's the prototypical guy that could go to the senior ball. And really improve his draft stock. You know, we saw it with we've seen it with Carson Wentz. We've seen it with a, you know, a lot of quarterbacks. If he goes to the Senior Bowl, and I'm sure he's going to get an invitation. Whether he goes or not is depending on his health. He goes to the Senior Bowl and, and, and makes all the throws in the one on ones, in the scrimmages, stays away from bad throws uh, in the 11-11 scrimmages. That's where a place where he could really uh, elevate his draft stock. So. You know, it's pointing in the right direction. We'll see what happens in the postseason. I think he needs to finish out this year on a good note and then go to the senior bowl and knock it out of the park. And, and who knows, I mean, how high he'll go in the draft.
1: Well, big win this week, Tony, for Notre Dame. You know, they host Stanford. Uh, we've talked a lot about this team over the course of the last few weeks, the Fighting Irish. We had Pete, Pete Sampson on a couple of weeks ago. He gave us some great insight info into uh, these guys just from a character standpoint you know when we talk about Jerry Tillery the defensive tackle he had four sacks this week against Stanford these linebackers uh, though were really really active against the Cardinal helped lock down uh, the running back Bryce uh, Bryce Love what stood out to you most about those guys in that front seven for the Fighting Irish
2: I mean, Tranquil, his sheer athleticism is what stood out to me. His ability to go sideline to sideline, to get out to the flanks and cut him off from uh, ball carriers and make the tackle, uh, just covered a tremendous amount of area on the field. His instincts aren't as good as as Coney's, but he's heading in the right direction. Tranquil came into the season great as a last day pick. I think he's definitely improved uh, his draft stock. Uh, the athleticism of the guy, his speed, his burst to the action, his ability in lateral pursuit uh, you know, running down Bryce Love, staying with the tight ends in coverage—is uh, what stood out to me. As far as Coney's concerned, you know, we've mentioned him a number of times on this podcast. He was graded anywhere from a mid-fourth round pick to a street free agent coming into the draft, believe it, or coming into the season, believe it or not seven tackles against Stanford had that one interception which he made when he, when he jumped around and, and got the ball. He's known as a guy who has gets it between the ears, has great instincts, but he's also very athletic uh, as he, which is un, which people had questions about. You saw that Saturday. You saw the ability to pursue, you saw the ability to get depth on his pass drops. I mean, both of these guys along with Tillery are, are really turning uh, Notre Dame into one of the better defenses in college football. Now, you look at the Notre Dame schedule. They go through a three-week period where they play Navy with their option offense, Northwestern with their traditional passing offense, and Syracuse, who mixes it all up. So that three-week period uh, during the Notre Dame schedule, I I think is going to be a great test for the entire defense, but especially for the linebackers, and will help dictate where they end up in the draft.
1: Yeah, it's certainly going to be interesting to watch, especially a guy like Coney, how he's viewed as the process unfolds. Uh, Tony, my Temple Owls suffered a tough loss this week. They went up to New England. They played Boston College. One guy who really stood out in this game, at least statistically. I didn't watch the game, but – you, know, you see the numbers from Zach Allen, the senior defensive end there for B.C. He's six foot five. he's 275 pounds. He put up two sacks, two pass breakups, a forced fumble, had a handful of TFLs in the game, just really disruptive. You and I have talked a little bit about him in the past, but as a refresher, how high could this kid go in the draft and how are teams viewing him right now?
2: Yeah, I think he's going to be a top-20 selection. Uh, the only thing that goes against him is it is a very heavy defensive line draft. Uh, But when you look at Allen, I mean, he's got all the makings to be a terrific player at the next level. He's a starter with versatility. You can use him as an end in a 3-4. You can use him as an end in a 4-3. You could push him inside to tackle. You can use him as an interior rusher. He even has some possibilities as a three-technique player. Uh, He's got great intensity. Uh, Decided to go back to school when he probably would have been a fringe first-round choice last year. Uh, The guy's got excellent size. He's got great growth potential. He's got it all going on, and the fact is he plays with a nonstop motor. You talked about the two PBUs, the two pass breakups against Temple. That gives him three for the year, so that tells you something about his athleticism. Uh, I I think the guy is a terrific run defender with the ability to rush the passer. You know, last year they talked about uh, coming into the season and throughout the season, Harold Landry potentially being a first-round pick, and he wasn't. I think there's no doubt Zach Allen's going to be a first-round selection. I think he's going to be a top-20 selection primarily because of the versatility.
1: Yeah, It was definitely interesting watching them last year because, you know, those two side-by-side are almost polar opposite kinds of players. You know, Landry, a little bit undersized. He was 6'2", 245, super bendy and explosive. And, you know, Zach Allen – I mentioned the size with this kid and the length. I mean, he is so strong, so stout, is able to win in a number of different ways. This kid is really intriguing. I agree with you. I think he's a first-round talent. I'm excited to see how he's able to progress moving forward. Tony, uh, another guy I had a chance to watch recently was Texas corner Chris Boyd. You know, I watched three games from earlier this season. I watched Maryland, USC, TCU. He's short, but he's a well built kid. He battles on the outside. I like his physicality, I like his competitiveness. I like him best in zone coverage. I feel like he's disciplined. He shows good awareness down the field and cover two underneath. He's really quick to pull the trigger on throws in front of him. He's an aggressive run defender, he's a good blitzer. All that makes him for you know to be really fun to watch. There are some things, though, that I'm worried about. And He's not the biggest. He's not the fastest. He's not the twitchiest. So, you know, against super quick wide receivers, I think he will struggle a little bit. On top of that, playing the ball down the field, I think he's a little bit up and down. On one hand, he's got some break, great pass breakups when he's out of phase with his back to the football, and he's got to play the ball through the receiver's hands. He had a couple great plays against TCU that were very similar to that. You know, but then on the same hand, he also had a dropped interception against Maryland, but then came back uh, and had a great pick against USC. He had multiple penalties thrown on him uh, in both of those games as well. So just very up and down overall with his ball skills. I see a competitive kid. I see he's disciplined. I think he looks more like a backup on the outside, potentially kind of a, a transitional nickel corner as well. He doesn't really play that in the in college level. Maybe he can do that down the road. But how, how are teams viewing Chris Boyd right now as senior? I, I didn't watch him coming into the year. This is my first exposure to him. Uh, what is what are my views compared to what you're hearing from NFL scouts?
2: Yeah, I, I mean, relatively close in the sense that the big red flag on him is he struggles making plays with his back to the ball. He doesn't get his head back around, and what that means is he's going to be a scheme specific type of player. You're not going to run. You're not going to want him line him up and, and bump and run or man coverage. He's probably better off in a zone type system. He's better off backed off the line of scrimmage. I do think he's got a good explosive burst to the ball you know he, 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 when he can see the action he's very good when his back is to the ball he struggles uh, you know that may lose that may uh kind of downgrade his appeal to some teams who who want the guys who can make plays with the back to the his back to the ball or, or line him up in bump and run uh, but i think if you put him in the right position the right the right uh, sort of scheme he'll do very well for you i don't think he's anything earlier than a third round pick uh but he's going to go in that third, fourth round range, because of the fact that he's got the general ball skills. He's got the feistiness. You know, he likes. He's a blitzer. He's a guy who gives it up against the run. Voluntarily comes up the field to stop screen passes. So you you, you like that. He's not the biggest guy, but he's got he's five foot eleven, one hundred and ninety pounds, uh, which is a good size for the for cornerbacks in the NFL. So I think you're looking at a third, maybe fourth round guy, depending on how he runs before the uh, Senior Bowl at the combine. A lot of things to offer, but he does have some limitations.
1: Tony, another kid I've watched recently that I wanted to ask you about is Renell Ren, a nose tackle from Arizona State. This kid really flashed me in my film study from what I've seen so far this year. I watched him against San Diego State and against Michigan State. That was the game that our buddy Ben Fennel was at, and he talked. we talked with Ben on the show after that game, uh, and what I saw on film really matched what Ben saw live. This kid is super explosive upfield. He's a bit raw with his hands, and his motor runs a bit hot and cold, but the talent is there. He really looks the part what have you seen from him, and what are you hearing from NFL scouts about his potential and how high he could go next year in the draft?
2: Yeah, good size, really in the midst of a terrific season. A year ago as a junior, finished up with 21 tackles and three tackles for loss. This year in five games, he's got 13 tackles and three-and-a-half tackles for loss. So he's starting to make more plays. He's starting to, he's starting to be more omnipresent around the ball. He's got excellent size foot 6'5", 295 pounds. He's got excellent movement skills. He's very quick off the snap. He's explosive. I think he's starting to put it all together. There's a term that we used to use in the scouting business. It was late bloomer. I think you can talk about uh, Ren in that sort of uh, aspect that he's a bit of a late bloomer and that he's starting to pull it together. A guy who can play in a three-man front at defensive end, can play at defensive tackle position. They've got some talent in the defensive front seven at uh, Arizona State, but he's really upped his game. So I think right now he's gone from a late-round pick to probably the early part of day three. Could move a little bit higher up draft board if he has a good if he finishes out his senior season in good form and then goes to uh, you know a, a postseason game like the senior Bowl that we always talk about and shows well there a lot of upside to his game a guy who may just be uh, you know tapping the top end of his potential but uh, uh, really someone who, who's watching his, his overall game take off.
1: Yeah, I actually wrote down as a player comparison for Wren, uh, Chris Jones, the former defensive tackle from Mississippi State. He was a first-round pick of the Kansas City Chiefs. And speaking of Mississippi State, I know that's a, a team you're looking forward to seeing this week here, take on Auburn. Uh, what are the matchups you're excited to see here, Tony? Um, you know Mississippi State, they've lost two straight against Kentucky and against Florida, uh, but there is talent on this team, especially on defense. What, what are the matchups you're looking forward to see in this uh, SEC matchup here?
2: It's going to be Jarrett Stidham against that uh, Mississippi State uh, defense, which has a lot of talent on it, like you said. I, I don't think Stidham is really living up to, to expectations this year. I think his game is a little bit down. He's down in all categories, completion percentage, quarterback rating, if that's something you look to. Uh, the uh, inter- touchdown to interception ratio is a little bit disappointing. Doesn't have a lot of talent around him as he's had in the past. Uh, w- w- and he's lost some offensive linemen. I think those two things have contributed to sort of the slow start. But he's going to be up against it against Mississippi State because Miss- the Bulldogs have to win. And when you look at that uh, defensive unit for Mississippi State, you've got uh, more than a half dozen draftable players. Jonathan Abram, uh, the safety, he's a hard-hitting, in the uh, between-the-numbers, downhill type of safety. You've got Montez Sweat, who's a terrific uh, pass rusher. you got Jeffrey Simmons, who is a first-round talent on the field, has got some issues off the field, uh, which are going to raise concerns. You've got Jamal Peters, the cornerback, who's more of a late-round guy. You know, but overall, they've got a lot of NFL talent on that the Mississippi State defense. You know, how does Stidham respond? He hasn't really had any standout performances. They beat Washington the first week of the, of the season, but it was a close game. Uh, you know, this is something where Stidham, Stidham needs a big performance, but Mississippi State also has to get back in the win column. So it's a big game for for, for both the uh, both the defensive unit of the Bulldogs as well as the quarterback of Auburn, uh, and there's a lot riding on the line for each of them.
1: Tony, let's wrap things up here with the mock draft roundup. We're going to go to the draft network. Kyle Krabs' new mock draft dropped, uh, I believe it was either Sunday night or Monday morning, uh, and he has the Eagles at 17th overall. Now it's sitting at 2-2, two and two, and he has them taking Arizona State wide receiver Nikhil Harry, uh, a big-bodied kid. We've talked about him in the past uh, with Ben Fennel, actually from that same game we talked about earlier with Ronell Wren against Mich- uh, Michigan State. What are your thoughts on Nikhil Harry? Is this uh, the right kind of value for him middle of the first round?
2: You know, in my my opinion, it's a little bit early. I'm not sold on Harry as a first-rounder. I know a lot of people love him. He makes some acrobatic receptions. He's big, and he plays big football. He uses his size as an advantage. Uh, Always wins out for the contested throws. Gives effort running after the catch. I just don't know about his quickness or his speed and the ability to get separation at the next level. You know, he had some good production this year, and then he goes up against Washington in that talented secondary five receptions for just 20 yards and no TDs. Uh, I've talked to people that say they expect him he, They expect him to enter the draft, and then he's going to lay down a surprising 40-time at the combine. I'm, I'm assuming a surprising 40-time for a guy that size means in the mid-4-4s. Four uh, from a receiver perspective, he has all the, uh, the makings of a big-time pass catcher. I just question until I see his testing numbers, The ability to get separation at the next level, Uh, the the speed, the quickness, you know, is he a guy that can separate or is he just someone who wins out for the contested throws? And as we saw last year with Alan Lazard, those guys that win out for the contested throws and, you know, go over the middle and take a pounding and hold on to the ball, it looks good on Saturday, but it doesn't necessarily translate well to the next level. I think round one at this point in time is a little bit early on my board for Harry. I really want to see what his testing numbers, not just the 40, but the shuttle times, the three cone and everything else, because that'll give you kind of an idea of his lateral quickness, his ability to get in and out of breaks, uh, to really, uh, before I come to a a final determination as to whether or not he's worth the top 32 uh, choice.
1: Tony appreciate the time as always here on the journey of the draft podcast we will talk to you again next week and we'll uh, we'll further hash out some of the latest around college football thank you again
2: thanks for having me
1: Great stuff from Tony who you can follow on Twitter at Tony Pauline. And by now, you know you can always follow me at FDuffy3. That's where I post all of the stuff I'm working on over at PhiladelphiaEagles.com. So things like the Eagle Eye in the Sky articles, the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, our Saturday scouting column, whatever X's and O's content you're looking for, they'll be there as well as on PhiladelphiaEagles.com or on the Eagles mobile app. By the way, if you haven't yet, Go check out the comeback series over on PhiladelphiaEagles.com's YouTube channel. It's centered around Carson Wentz and a couple of other players as they completed their return from season-ending injuries a year ago. It's a four-part series. It takes you about 20 minutes to get through. It's all getting unveiled across the Eagles' digital network right now, but the only place where you can get all four episodes right now, they're all present over on the YouTube page. So head over to YouTube.com Eagles. Check it out, the comeback. You do not want to miss it. All right, let's keep things rolling here. I teased earlier that I would break down. Clemson defensive tackle Christian Wilkins one of the top defensive linemen in the entire country he's the subject this week in our scouting report
2: dim those lights we're headed to the film room for the scouting report
1: all right, so Christian Wilkins, six foot three, three hundred fifteen pounds, from Springfield, Massachusetts. Not a lot of big, big-time prospects coming from the New England area, but second-team All-American last year at defensive tackle, and he's been on my radar since his freshman season. He was a freshman All-American back in twenty fifteen. He's been a yearly presence on Bruce Bruce Feldman's freak list because of his impressive physicality and just how he's built. He's over 300 pounds. He can do back flips. He's a great athlete. He's weight room strong. He averaged a double double as a four-year letterman in high school men's basketball. So, you know, this kid is really impressive both on and off the field. Um, now, when you get into the film, this is a three-year starter in Brent Venable's 4-3 scheme. It's his second at defensive tackle because he actually started as a defensive end in 2016. And, you know, the, he had to play off the edge that year because of injuries and that just kind of speaks to his versatility and his his athleticism. Spent most of his time last year, though, as a three technique or as a one technique, with some reps outside, or inside as a zero as well and even slid out as a four. So this kid is lined up everywhere from zero technique all the way out to seven over an offensive tackle. So you just get an idea uh, what he can do on the football field. Um, you know, He's lined up everywhere. He even stood up at times at 310 pounds back in 2016. Still rotated in off the edge as a junior. He's a well-built kid for an interior lineman. Uh, thick upper body. He's got a bubble butt but he's also really light on his feet. He can play sideline to sideline. He's got balance. Uh, That's really the most impressive athletic trait for me, along with his quickness and change of direction to be an interior disruptor. Uh, He's got good awareness and a feel for blocks attacking him from outside of his line of vision. He's got a knack for staying on his feet and defeating those cut blocks with ease. He very rarely... Loses sight of the football. Saw that in this game against Syracuse this past week. As a pass rusher. His go-to move is a basic speed rush, just dipping and ripping past the opponent, but he would work in a spin move at times. Saw him use a basic bull rush and a decent club rip move, uh, sometimes a hand swipe as well. Pretty good bend and flexibility for an interior guy, and he does a nice job of clogging up passing lanes if he can't get home to the quarterback. He's a gap-sound run defender, and that you will know, maintain proper leverage in every situation, understands his role in the scheme, and again, the ability to line up inside, outside, all over the line, you're, you have to be a smart player to be able to handle that, and he showed the ability to do that. He'll set strong edges as a defensive end. He can anchor down as an interior player. He can two-gap. He can one-gap. Even though his body type may be more ideal one-gap guy, he's a really intriguing player. We're a wrap-up tackler. He can finish one-on-one in a phone booth. He even dropped in short zone coverages at times. Just a freak show guy. He cleans up piles. You can tell he really emp- enjoys the physical aspect of the game very violent player up and down the line of scrimmage from a negative standpoint at times he can be a little bit late off the ball and I saw that early in his career Uh, while it has improved with his moved inside it's still a little bit of an issue at times this guy just dominated tight ends at the point of attack as an edge player but you know when lined up inside I haven't really seen that ability to win consistently with power or play strength so that's a little bit of a concern double teams Given it, have given him problems at times. He's not a true technician with his hands, and I want to see him get a little bit better and kind of evolve that pass rush plan a little bit. You know, Can he develop a counter move? That's one of the big questions I want to see answered this year. But overall, you know, my final summary, his movement skills and his competitive toughness both just top off, pop off the tape. I was glad to see him make that transition to inside earlier in his career full-time. I think he projects as a one-gap tackle in the NFL, whether it's as a three-tech or as a one-gap shade uh, in the NFL. I think he's probably best in the former as a three-tech. Uh, if he can improve his pass rush skill, he'll be a dynamic disruptor inside for many years to come. I actually put down as a player comparison Jarrell Casey, a player of the Eagles, just saw down in Tennessee with the Titans – I think there are some similarities there. I think he's a potential star in this league. So there's a ton to love about Christian Wilkins, one of the top players overall, regardless of position in his class. But let's keep things rolling here. I was happy to be joined by Eagles safeties coach Tim Houck on Mr. Relevant this week to talk about the transition that young defensive backs make from college to the NFL. Let's get to that chat right now. It's time for Mr. Relevant. So once every few weeks, we get access to the Eagles assistant coaches. And during training camp, I spent a few minutes with Tim Hauck. who has been here in Philadelphia as a coach for a few years now. Some of you may remember him as a player here for the Eagles as well. The first question I asked Coach was about the safety position and evaluating it at the college level. Everybody talks about how hard it is to scout quarterbacks and offensive linemen, but a lot of evaluators will say that the toughest position to scout is safety. I started things off by asking Coach, why?
3: I think, first of all, just transition in general. Um, Guys haven't seen the speed or the talent as a whole. Um, They may see a guy here and there that may simulate the NFL talent, but when you see everybody on the field can run, everybody on the field can hit, everybody on the field can do things that you have not seen before, it makes it hard to transition. Now, the thing about college safeties and NFL safeties is – a lot of times in college everything is just it's just space. And you play cover four and you play or you play two different coverages and that's it. Um, things get very very complicated in the NFL just because defenses are more complicated. You got a lot to learn in a short period of time, and you're the guy out there running the show, so you got to learn it in a hurry and get everybody uh, lined up and on the same pitch.
1: Has it been, has that transition been more difficult? You know, you obviously you've been uh, in your role now for a few years and, you know, obviously you've been around the game for so long. Has it really changed that much over the last decade or so?
3: I don't think so. I I mean, obviously offenses have changed and what they're giving you. you know, back when I first got in the league, there was a lot of two-back sets, and now you rarely see a two-back set. But the, the the position itself, you're still the guy that's in charge out there. You're still the guy that has to make all the calls. Um, a lot of defenses are based on formation, and you've got to make checks. Uh, so uh, the, the load on that safety position has not changed. You're the guy in charge. You make the calls, and, and you either get it right or you get it wrong.
1: Is that usually the biggest hill for those young guys to climb, the mental side of it? I think so. Um,
3: I, I mean, obviously the physical side, there, there's going to be in a time you've got to adapt. But uh, things happen quick. Uh, it's thrown at you in, a, in a, a, a quick manner. And you don't get a lot of time in this league to prove whether you can do it or not. You either you can or you can't. It's not really a developmental league. So you've got to adjust in a hurry. I, I think that's the biggest thing. In college, you get some time. Okay, as a freshman, you learn it. As a sophomore, you get a little time. As a junior and a senior, you should know it. Here, you either do it or you don't.
1: And then the last question is just with how much you're seeing with sub packages now. And some of these guys are so specialized. You know, They may, may only play in the slot over their college careers. How hard is it then to kind of teach them to see it from playing in the post or playing too high or even if you're playing in the box as opposed to if they've only been doing one thing throughout their career?
3: Well, well, it's hard. I mean, anytime you haven't done something and then to automatically just transition into that and be able to perform at that position gets gets really hard. The whole thing with the sub packages anymore, more offenses are making it hard too because you can't sub in and sub out unless they sub. So you've got to be able to do a lot of different things. And that's why we cross-train guys to play different positions so they get into a position at a game time that you haven't seen in practice or offense brings something new on you. It's not uh, uh, a bad situation to put them in a, in a position they haven't played before
1: great stuff there from Tim Houck. Hopefully we can get him back on the show again very soon. But before we transition to our next segment, you guys know how much I love it when you tweet out the show or you post about it on Facebook. It's great support and I love it when you guys are able to do that. What we love most here though is when you take a minute and head over to Apple Podcasts or Stitcher and give us a rating or even leave us a comment. I wanted to give a shout out to Matt ESQ who left a five-star rating and commented saying he had no idea that we had restarted the show. He had to refresh that feed uh, when we changed platforms. So he's happy to hear that we'll be here all season long thanks again for listening Matt and for those of you who did catch on late maybe this is your first episode or your second episode do the same thing Matt's doing. Go back and listen to some of those older episodes we started back in August. Uh, and I, I promise, in this business, we call these episodes evergreen. You'll get some great information on all the top players around the country. I've even found myself going back and re listening to our guests at some point. So thanks to Matt and all of you out there for your continued support of this show and all the rest of our podcasts on PhiladelphiaEagles.com. All right, it's about that time. Let's welcome in Ben Fennel and look at some of the top matchups this week in college football. It's time for Saturday Scouting. Time to welcome in my friend Ben Fennel, who you can follow on Twitter at Ben Fennell underscore NFL. Ben, Let's get things started here. You were uh, you were down in Starkville, Mississippi this week for uh, that matchup between the uh, the Gators and Mississippi State. The Dan Mullen ball, as you uh, you dubbed it last week, and I think every, everyone just kind of took off with that title after you said it here. It was kind of low
0: hanging fruit. Obviously, the main storyline of uh, former Mississippi State head coach Dan Mullen yep. returning to Starkville, but now as the Florida. Uh, head coach, and actually they switch locker rooms at the uh, Mississippi State Stadium. So the visitor's locker room is what used to be the home locker room. Really? So Dan Mullen is right at home where he always was. Huh. Yeah, kind of interesting. Never, I don't know if I've ever heard of that. Yeah, there's always some little movements uh, inside these facilities and whatnot. They switch locker rooms in the off season. So apparently Mullen uh, was right in the same locker room he had been for the previous eight, nine years.
1: Did they put, like, microphones or anything in the home locker room I'm not sure if switched? there was
0: any... Uh, you know, a uh, conspiracy like theory. foul play. Yeah, any you know, <laughs> side action there. but.
1: All right, well, let's talk about who stood out. Because, uh, you know, judging by your Twitter feed, uh, one pass rusher that we talked a little bit about last week uh, certainly flashed in this game.
0: Yeah, Ja'Kai Polite is obviously gaining steam among uh, the draft Knicks and uh, draft Twitter this time of year. Very explosive player. Was kind of quiet in the first half and really came alive in the fourth quarter. You said he didn't start, right? He wasn't out on the field the first play of the game for Florida. They have a bunch of different edge rushers, outside linebackers, whether it's Jabari Zeninga or CeCe Jefferson. So they have a decent rotation. I wasn't putting too much emphasis on the fact he wasn't on the field the first play of the game, but technically not a starter. Quiet first half, but in the fourth quarter when Mississippi State had to pass the ball to win and really start to move the ball down the field. In the pass game, he was able to pin his ears back and really see that explosion in his first step and his ability to bend around the corner. Definitely a freak show athlete, an explosive edge rusher to watch around draft time.
1: You made an interesting comparison to me uh, on Monday or Sunday, whenever it was that we talked about it, uh, that Tim Williams from Alabama.
0: Yeah, I thought he was on the Tim Williams spectrum. I wrote down a couple other names like Vic Beasley, but – He's an explosive first-step edge rusher that can bend. I think Tim Williams has a little bit of a deeper uh, pass rush toolkit. He had some spin moves, some long arms, some cross chops, a little bit more technical with his hands. But on the same spectrum as far as being an explosive athlete, and then the size, just the height and weight comp, both about 6'2", 6'3". Just a shade under 260. So not one of these long, finesse edge rushers that we've seen around the NFL and in college. He's not one of these 6'5", 6'6", guys with long arms but more of a more compact, explosive edge rusher like a Tim Williams.
1: So let's compare him now to the guy on the other side. We talked about him on the show last week, and that's Montez Sweat from Mississippi State, uh, one of the top senior edge rushers in the country. You and I have watched him together multiple times, and you got to see him live.
0: Yeah, he's a really good-looking kid up close. He's broad shoulders, got long arms. You just want him playing power forward on your basketball team. I think Dave Pash on the broadcast compared him to Julius Peppers, which I thought was an interesting comparison. They have very similar body types, similar height, weight. Um, You see Montez Sweat working a lot of technical hand uses. He's got a long arm. He's got a club rip, an arm over, really good first step, whether it's getting around the edge or slanting into the B gap. It was just really interesting the way he can affect the game that may not appear in the box score. He ran down a lot of plays from the backside. Caused some penetration and some disruption with the offensive line, but didn't have those impact plays that showed up in the box score. But I know scouts are going to watch the tape and see him affecting the game.
1: Yeah, he's an interesting guy because – uh you know, the the Julius Peppers comparison is interesting is he might look like him i don't think he moves like Julius Peppers especially when he came out of north carolina um but it's interesting that uh the comparison cuz he certainly has that body type that profile physically uh let's talk about his teammate along the defensive line the junior jeffrey simmons former five star recruit
0: yeah jeffrey simmons i was watching this guy like a hawk obviously very touted uh highly touted prospect coming into the game Left me, uh, you know, a little bit to be desired in the game. Didn't impact the game. I thought huh. Florida had a pretty good game plan. Dan Mullen told us in their production meetings, "Listen, we cannot block these these guys head up. We cannot run downhill." So they relied on the quick uh, perimeter pass game as almost an extension of the run game get it out to those receivers out on the perimeter and let them make guys miss in space. A lot of perimeter run action, a lot of counter run game, and trying to just displace the defense laterally rather than trying to run right at them, which I felt like took Jeffrey Simmons out of his game being more of an interior defensive lineman. Now, they'll line him up anywhere from nose guard, one tech, three tech. He'll be an edge player as well. He just wasn't able to affect the game. He's not a, a player that wins quickly. So he needs time. He needs to use his brute strength. He's kind of a square stance guy as opposed to a staggered stance guy. He doesn't have that first step that he jolts into gaps and really rocks offensive linemen. takes him a minute to find the ball, play with his eyes up, and kind of diagnose and then use his power to shed or stack or discard an offensive lineman. So if an offense has the right scheme and kind of – quick perimeter action, you could really take a guy like Jeffrey Simmons out of his game, and I think that's exactly what Florida did.
1: Yeah, so this was kind of an, uh, an ugly SEC slugfest. It was a 13-7 yeah, final score.
0: Yeah, 13-6, and very much a college game with quarterback runs. They both struggled to push the ball down the field, so it had a very SEC kind of a defensive struggle game.
1: Alright, so what's the one play takeaway here for this game?
0: So I'm going to hit you with two plays right here and going back to Montez Sweat affecting the game that doesn't show up in the box score. He didn't have the sack numbers, but he affected the game. Florida hit a big 40-yard pass completion right around midfield when they were taking a shot play. Beautiful contested catch. But Montez Sweat had a beautiful inside move on the right tackle that forced a holding call. That's a 40-yard play for the defense, Hmm. taken off the board for the offense. So I like to call that's a 40-yard play. That's an explosive play for the defense. Does it show up in the box score? Is it a sack? Absolutely not. But that was a huge play from a defender on Mississippi State to, uh, you know, take that play off the board for Florida. Like that. And then same thing at the end of the game. Just as Florida was trying to put the the game away, he had a great jump against the left tackle, Martez Ivey, and was able to dip – Bend and flattened to the quarterback and really rock Felipe Franks as he uh, hit his final step trying to make a pass again a play that didn't show up in the box score but it was an explosive play you you know you obviously your eyes lit up watching it it's not a sack but he affected the passer and it's little plays like that that I saw throughout the game from sweat
1: ivy is a, a senior too as, as well he's played tackle and guard I'm assuming sweat probably won most of those matchups Felix. yeah
0: sweat was definitely a better athlete Martez ivy You know, he's a five-star recruit, hasn't really developed into the player they had hoped. Dan Mullen has just gotten there, so I'm not really sure how he feels about that evaluation of being a five-star, what he has. He's a senior right now, so they'll only be together for one year. He just hasn't taken that next step as a player uh, in his development.
1: All right, so let's talk about the uh, the guy who really looked the part. We talked about what Montez Sweat looked like. Who was the guy that's the off-the-bus player for this week?
0: I know I was sending you a couple pictures pregame. Jeffrey Simmons, up close, is an absolute freak show human being. This guy is just a massive body, wide waist, a big butt. His upper legs and his quads are about as wide as my waist. And he is just very well built. He has huge arms. He was kind of dancing around pregame with this big bulky boop, uh, boom box jukebox thing that they use yep. to uh, pump music for the warm-up guys and man this guy was just picking up with one hand over his head and you could just see his biceps <laughs> bulging out man this guy is a good looking player that i think will be a better pro than he was college player maybe okay. somebody like a kawan short that just left you a little bit to be desired on the college field whether it was effort or play time or technique but you cannot teach the way this guy looks, and I think any NFL defensive line coach is going to be salivating to get their hands on him and try to mold him.
1: And we talked about that. I remember uh, with Chris Wilson a few weeks ago, exactly. and, and you mentioned you know that look. There are some guys where you know they just benefit maybe from not being full time players. But instead of playing 90, 90 snaps in college, they come to the NFL and they play fifty snaps or forty five snaps, like what happened with juan Shore. That was the example I used, uh, and you could see it. A, a and they're getting kind of
0: everything they can out of Jeffrey Simmons. He's their best player. They want him on the field. Yep. But at the size that he is, he's going to wear down late in games with his play counts and snap totals if you're not going to work in a rotation.
1: All right, so that's who we need to know about for this year. Who, who is a, a name – That really stood out to you, the the -the down-the-road freak show uh, young player that we should know for the future.
0: Yeah, I was really interested to watch Florida true freshman Trey Dean III. He's a 6'3", 195-pound corner safety hybrid. I think he was a four-star recruit that everybody wanted to get their hands on. With Marco Wilson injury, he's been forced into action, gave up a touchdown in the Tennessee game, was actually in a scooter accident on campus the Friday before the game but he did end up playing, actually had, he got ejected on a targeting play. So I didn't get to see him on an every-down basis on the defense. But he was somebody that uh, my good friend Tom Luganbill, who's all over the high school recruiting trail in news and notes and guys to look for, he said he was very highly touted coming out of high school and he's somebody to watch down the road. So that's oh. Trey Dean III, who's a long corner.
1: It was a uh, a rough few days there for Trey Dean.
0: Yeah, not the best few days, uh, especially after giving up the touchdown in the Tennessee game where everything was going right for that Florida uh, team on both sides of the ball. So just disappointing that I couldn't see him uh, on every down basis.
1: So you're going back down south for uh, another SEC matchup this week. Share with us uh, where you're heading.
0: Yeah, we'll be heading over to Fayetteville, Arkansas, to see uh, Arkansas face off against the Alabama Crimson Tide.
1: Something tells me this is not going to look how last week's game looked.
0: No, I don't anticipate that. <laughs> uh, Arkansas is a little rough around the edges right now. They're 1-4, and four, a bit of a roster turnover, and they're trying to find their identity as a team on both sides of the ball and Alabama seemed to have blown the, blown the doors off and beaten the brakes off of every team they faced.
1: It's unbelievable. So let, let's talk about uh, a couple of these Arkansas kids because uh, you know there's obviously so many players we can talk about with Alabama. Um, but let's start with the, the offensive line, and they've got a couple guys in the trenches. You know, Brett Bielema obviously put a lot of, of uh, importance on recruiting big kids that can play. Um, and he, let's start with the senior offensive lineman, I believe he's the right guard, Yelda Froholt. Uh, Give us what you know about this kid.
0: Yeah, he's actually been playing left guard. uh, He got on a lot of people's radars last year as they were studying first-round pick Frank Ragnall, who went to the Detroit Lions, who's playing very well for them in Detroit. But Yelda Froholt, and I know that sounds a little bit different. He was a foreign exchange student from Denmark. So he's a foreign kid. His name's Yelda Froholt. He's 6'5", 3'15". He's a senior. He's uh, very highly touted. Started all his games at left guard. Actually, as a freshman, he was a defensive tackle.
1: Okay, so he's a convert, yep.
0: Yeah, so he's a convert. He had 10 tackles as a, a freshman defensive tackle. He moved to offensive line in the spring of 2016. He was a five-star that everybody wanted, but he was a five-star defensive tackle. So it's always interesting to see those convert projects mm. and you know when in their college careers are they transitioning and why they're transitioning. Is that a desperation, or does a coach see a certain skill set, or a trait out of that player that would be, you know, more fitting for another position.
1: That, I read um, Howard Mudd's book over the summer, and that was, or maybe it was in the, it might have been around, actually I think it was combine time last year, I read it out in Indianapolis, and that was one of the big takeaways, was a lot of the top offensive linemen that he had worked with, Tariq Glenn, uh, certainly Evan Mathis, you know, some of the players that he worked with throughout the course of his career. They all talked about, yeah, like I, I was a D-tackle. I was a defensive end. And at what point did they get moved, whether it was college or the NFL? It's interesting just following, following the lineage there of some of the top linemen.
0: Yes, yeah, so that's definitely one of my questions I'm hoping to answer when I go out to Fayetteville this weekend and maybe uh, talk to his offensive line coach and just talk about that transition process and what makes him a candidate to move from the defensive line to the offensive line. But he's a really interesting athlete. He moves so well in space. Pull to the perimeter a lot. He can redirect on those moving targets when the linebackers are scraping on the second level. It's great balance and body control. And when you see him in that pro-style blocking scheme, there's a lot of reaches, pulls, scoop blocks. It's a lot of power running games. So you can kind of see how it would translate, translate to an NFL game. But he's not a mauler. He's not a finisher. He's not really a nasty offensive lineman when he just has to duke it out and scrap his way through a rep because a defensive lineman got into his chest. He really can't maul and scrap his way out of a bad step or letting a defensive lineman into his chest. I wish he had a little bit of that edge that Frank Ragnow had, watching him finish guys Hmm. into the ground. Just want him to be a little bit nastier. In the offensive line, you have to have that edge, too. You have to have that... That nasty side to kind of just scrap on some plays. Some day, some plays, it's just a it's a fight between you and the defensive tackle, and it's not always about technique. You have to just claw your way out of it, and that's kind of my question. Also, is play ID and processing a little bit slow to see some twists in games? So, just being a former a foreign player. I just don't think he has the recognition of some football things like twists and play IDs. Hmm. He's just a little bit slow on that, but he has the body type. He has the feet. He has the, he has the athleticism. He's a raw player, so definitely somebody I think you can mold and continue to develop even into the NFL.
1: I like it. All right, so let's look on the other side of the line of scrimmage. Uh, the defensive tackle from Arkansas, McTelvin Ajim.
0: Yeah, this kid is very interesting. He's only a junior, highly touted out of high school. He's a five-star, everybody wanted, number two defensive end, number 11 overall player by ESPN Scouting Services. Last year was pretty productive at seven and a half tackles for loss, two and a half sacks, two forced fumbles. Plays a little high. He's got a good first step. He's got some positional versatility. I don't really know where to play him. You'll see him line up anywhere from nose tackle, three tech, five tech out on the edge. His body type looks a lot like Rashawn Gary. But he's not playing the Rashawn Gary position at primarily 3-tech and 5-tech. He's playing up and down the defensive line, rotating from odd fronts and even fronts. So I'm not really sure where I want him to play, but he's athletic, he's explosive. Wish he used his hands a little bit more and developed a counter move, but someone that's going to disrupt Offensive line blocking schemes by shooting into gaps, using his hands. You can see he has some athleticism for a defensive tackle.
1: So let's go over to the Alabama sideline, and obviously, so many players we can talk about. But I know uh, once I heard that this was the game you were going to get, I knew we, I was excited because. That meant we were going to have a chance to talk about one of our favorite players, uh, Alabama running back Damian Harris. Uh, What have you seen from Harris so far from what you studied both this year and then in years past?
0: Yeah, I love Damian Harris. I was able to see him in person two other times. Saw him at Mississippi State last season as Alabama just squeaked out that game in the fourth quarter. Saw some beautiful pass protections on third down to give the quarterback some good throwing lanes to come back and win that game. He's just a solid player. Uh, You know, he had 1,000 yards the past two seasons, averaging over seven yards a carry. His freshman year, he's a backup to Derrick Henry. Catches the ball very well, will pluck it away from his body, his pass-protecting ability, like I had mentioned. Even though he struggled in the national championship game against Roquan Smith, still felt like he held his own. Had some good quality rushes, or excuse me, some quality snaps against him as well. I agree. Primarily a between-the-tackles runner. He can turn the corner, however. He's got some open-field agility. He's got home run speed. I think it's almost deceptive speed because he's a little bit of a wider, you know, I want to say almost a gliding running back.
1: Hey, I know, like, you and I have talked about it in the past, and early on when you had first studied him, you, you didn't know if he had enough juice. And I'm like, no, like, I've seen him bust long runs, and then you and I will keep watching film, you know, and we'll see him bust like a, a 60-yard run and be like, oh, all right, yeah. You just I don't he necessarily that.
0: see that visual second gear, that explosive right. step. He's just kind of a smooth, gliding, fluid runner that you just see him blow away. Uh, from safeties and pull away from different angles of pursuit defenders, sure. he was also used as a lead blocker and all those quarterback design runs and QB follows, just like Zeke Elliott had to do at Ohio State for a number of years. But so I have some interesting comparisons for this guy.
1: All right, so I my pa- comparison for him has been Fred Jackson. Uh, and you and I have kind of thrown that around a, a little bit. Who You haven't told me who this is, and you've been keeping it a secret until now. So, so I wrote
0: anxious. down a couple names as I was watching, just getting a flavor for. I wrote down Jonathan Stewart. Stewart was probably a little heavier, I like more that. on the yep. 225, 230. I can see it. Damian Harris is more 215, 220. I wrote down Chris Polk, former University of Washington running back, who okay. spent some time with the Philadelphia Eagles. Yep. I also saw a little bit of Deuce Staley in him. Okay. In kind like of the, a similar career arc to Deuce Daly. He was a guy you didn't have to take off the field, was good on third downs, whether pass protecting, catching the ball out of the backfield. But the guy who I think resembles him the most and will have a similar NFL career... Okay is longtime running back Thomas Jones, oh, who was a 12-year right. veteran. He was a
1: seventh overall pick.
0: Yes, he was. 12-year yeah. vet, had 10,000 career yards, yep. and was just a solid pro for 12 years in the NFL. He was a great pass protector. He was a guy you can rely on early downs, getting downhill in the run game. You didn't have to take him off the field because he caught the ball very well. The backfield can pass protect for you. He was a great locker room guy, high-character guy. I also see that in Damian Harris and everything yeah. I hear. Sure. So I just see a similar – Type of career in that, you know, it's almost the battle of production versus preservation with Damian Harris, mm. in that he's always rotated in that backfield. He's always going to be juggling carries with other five star running backs that they seem to be breeding out there in Alabama. So you're just wondering. You know, where's all the production? But there's a little bit of preservation with that. And maybe he doesn't have some of the tread as like some other players around the country, like a David Montgomery at Iowa State. Sure. Who has, you know, nearly 300 touches. Left Bryce here. Love, yeah. Air Bryce Love at Stanford, who's a little bit slight and has a high volume of touches. So just a little bit of figuring out where the value is based on the rotation and the production.
1: So I'm going to write about this matchup this weekend, and I, I don't want to bring it too far back to Arkansas, but um, I figure since I'm going to write about this matchup, I wanted to uh, watch this kid this morning, and so I did. I watched Arkansas linebacker uh, Dre Greenlaw, who, uh, look, this kid's a sideline-to-sideline side player. I hadn't studied him at all, but um, you know he's a little bit undersized. I want to say he's six one two twenty five. 225, Uh, former safety he was ranked by most scouting services as a safety coming out of high school uh, and they moved him to linebacker right away and he became an immediate starter so an intriguing player definition of a fast flow kid like any shiny object in the backfield he is flying immediately to that first action uh, and that's going to result in some big plays you know I mentioned to you um, you know if he if he sees a jet sweep he's making the play on the jet sweep if it's jet motion and he's got something and the ball's going elsewhere he's going to be out of position so he's got some things to work through but this is a really athletic kid I don't know if uh, how much you've gotten to see of him but it'll be an interesting kind of one-on-one matchup between those two guys
0: I'm always very intrigued on these safety to linebacker uh projects in that if you get a player that's tough and that can run and has good size at safety it's almost like Let's put him at linebacker and let's let him roam the second level and be a versatile player that can defend the run, can defend offensive attacks on the perimeter, can move backwards as well. just seems like that's where the game of football is going right now and just trying to get those second level defenders to be more athletic. So it's really interesting whether it's Devin White at LSU being a former running back or uh, Greenlaw being a former safety turned linebacker. You're just hoping to see more foot speed and athleticism from these linebackers.
1: Yeah, I think when you you look at this kid, he's kind of the prototype for what a lot of people are looking for right now. Like, there were so many guys that went middle rounds this year that on tape, you know, what was the kid's name from Clemson that went in the third round? The Chiefs took him. Uh, I can't remember his name at the moment, but, you know, he he went in the third round, and and his tape to me was like sixth or seventh round tape, but he was – you know, six foot. He was two twenty. He ran four, five, six, or whatever he ran at the combine. He had great athleticism. Dorian O'Daniel, hmm. yes. Uh, you know, and the, those guys. That's that's what the league wants right now. So I think that he kind of, he certainly does fit that. Uh, has been banged no, they're, up they're, a, well. they're also
0: a little bit light in the pants, so right, that's a big criticism on these players. However, when you look at the former linebacker Josh Perry of Ohio State or Cam Smith at USC, the more old-school linebackers, that's really not what the NFL is coveting right now. So, yes, you may look at a green law and say, yeah, he's a little light in the pants. He doesn't have the weight. He struggles to you know, stop power and put his face into the run game. But you're putting that player there because you want the athleticism and you want the ability to play in space.
1: So let's go from a former safety to a current safety, back with the Tide. Mm-hmm. Uh, Deontay Thompson, who was mocked to the Eagles in a mock draft that we did with Tony Pauline. I want to say it was two weeks ago. I think it was CBS's uh, Chris Trepasso who had uh, Deontay Thompson to the Eagles. What are, your, what are your initial thoughts on this kid? A young kid, for sure.
0: Yeah, this kid's getting a lot of steam uh, this season as he's uh, turned into a full-time player. He was just a rotational player the past two years. But you put on his Louisville tape to start the season, you see his full Ackleman, the full menu of traits, where he's got cover skills, he's got range, he's a fluid athlete. And just watching him read the eyes of the quarterback, flipping his hips, getting depth, and going and attack the ball in the air, he's got the ball skills. Very oily hips is something you'll hear around draft time as well. He's just a very fluid mover in space. Way to throw in a mayocism, Exactly. It reminds me a lot of Malik Hooker and watching mm-hmm. his range and getting off the middle of the field and reading the eyes of the quarterback. But he also has the Minka Fitzpatrick cover skills. He's not really a box safety. I thought he struggled to tackle. He's a bit of an ankle diver. He's not a hitter. He also flying a little bit out of control. He's not a breakdown tackler. He's not going to stop his feet, square you up, and put his face into you. He's going to run full speed at you and try to trip you up from the knees down, which is okay. There's some defensive coordinators that are a fly-to-the-ball type of defensive coordinator. That's how Jim Johnson was here at the Philadelphia Eagles. He didn't preach breakdown tackling. He, he preached fly-through tackling. And sometimes that could be just as productive in disrupting ball Carriers and stopping their progress. But I think he takes very good angles. I like the way he reads quarterbacks. I see him as a back end player, a free safety with also man matchup cover skills that can come down and guard a receiver or a tight end.
1: One matchup I'm excited to watch and I'll write about this week as well in Saturday Scouting on the article that you can see on Philadelphia.com and the mobile app uh, Florida State Miami, which Usually we're all pretty juiced up for this game. It's, both teams are a little bit down right now, and so it's not as exciting. But uh, Nyquan Murray is a senior receiver for Florida State. This kid's got juice. He, he's pretty explosive athlete. He's twitched up. He's got a pretty good idea of what he's doing as a route runner. Lines up inside and outside, going up against this Miami secondary that uh, they've got three seniors that you know that I'm excited about. Jaquan Johnson, I think, is a nice player at the college level. Sheldrick Red, Redwine as well. But uh, the guy that I really like is Michael Jackson. He was my number one senior corner coming into the season, uh, a guy that can play inside and outside as well. So uh, Nyquan Murray against that Miami secondary for sure is something that I'm excited to watch here this weekend and in one of the big rivalries in college football. And then, uh, Ben, appreciate the time here as always here. We'll dive into uh, some of these matchups next week as well. When we return, we'll be excited to hear more about Alabama and Arkansas. as it, Again, once uh, you can you know always follow Ben on Twitter at BenFennel underscore NFL. All right, time to wrap up this podcast. Let's get some, some Q&A.
2: Now it's time to hear from you, the fans, in the Draft Mailbag.
1: All right, so this week on Draft Mailbag, I've got one question from Twitter. Brian Lacey asks, who's the one player that stood out most to you in the big game, Penn State, Ohio State? I did properly pick, by the way, uh, that Ohio State would win the game. Um, You know, I know a lot of my Penn State people were not happy about that. But, uh, yeah, Ohio State comes out and actually – by the way, I don't want to toot my own horn. I went 8-0 on my college picks this week straight up in Saturday Scouting. So if you're uh, you know, someone that is into that kind of thing, make sure you check out uh, Saturday Scouting each week over on PhiladelphiaEagles.com. But uh, the guy that really stood out to me, is not draft eligible this year. And that's sophomore defensive end Chase Young for the Buckeyes. This kid looks the part. He's 6'5". He's 265 pounds. Uh, he was the one who made that stop behind the line of scrimmage against Miles Sanders on that fourth and five play at the end of the game. Um, but it wasn't just that play. That kid was unblockable in that final drive. He was extremely disruptive throughout the course of the game. He made plays sideline to sideline. Ben Fennel talked about him on the show a couple of weeks ago as well. This kid absolutely looked to the part, and Penn State had a lot of problems keeping him blocked up. So I was hoping to see more from Draymond Jones in this game, but Chase Young really, really stood out. So good question there from Brian. Again, if you ever have any questions on the, to ask the show, feel free. Hit me up on Twitter, at FDuffy3, or head over to one of our podcast channels. Give us a rating. Leave the question in the comment section it's the easiest way to make it here on the show. Appreciate the support, as always. So great stuff from Tony Pauline, Ben Fennell, Tim Houck, and all of you out there listening, whether you're on PhiladelphiaEagles.com, the Eagles mobile app, or any of our podcast channels. Thanks again for listening here, as always, to the Journey to the Draft podcast. For everybody here at the Novacare Complex, I'm Fran Duffy. We will talk to you next week.